and let's pray. Father, again, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your Holy Spirit. We are grateful for redemption. We are grateful for being rescued from the wrath that is to come. And as we begin to, as we look today at the, the culmination, well, the penultimate of your wrath as it is poured out on unrepentant men that we would see the the horror of what it is to rebel against the almighty God and I pray that it would spur us on that we would speak of your excellence of your your greatness to those that we encounter that we may encourage them to flee the wrath that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Now's probably a good time to do a little bit of a recap as far as where we've come in this book. Um, so we have a very general outline for the book. It's actually given by Jesus in chapter one. And so we have, uh, chapter one is the things that, he, that John has. Maybe we need to do these recaps a little more often. The things that he has seen. Chapters two and three are the things that are. And beginning in chapter four to the end of the book, are the things that will, yeah, they're gonna come. These are the things that are gonna take place after these things. That's the general outline of the book. In chapters four and five, we're, we're given um, a seat to see a worship service in heaven. And at the end, during that service, we see that there is a book. And this book is written on the inside and on the outside, and it's sealed with seven seals. And there's an exhaustive search made of the earth and the heaven, looking for someone who is, who is worthy to open these seals and to look inside the book. And John, there's no one found, and John begins to, to, to weep greatly because there's no one who's able, there's no one who is worthy. And an angel comes over to him and says, stop your whining. There is one. And he sees a lamb as if slain. And that slain lamb is, let's try that again. Okay, do we need to stand up and walk around a little bit to get the juices flowing? Come on, the slain lamb is Jesus Christ, all right? He is able to open the seals. And then he begins, and what we see is we see that the seven seals are opened, and out of that seventh seal, then we are introduced to seven trumpets. Now in the seals, we have the beginning of judgment. And we even begin to see that many of these judgments are specific to certain people. Now why 
would it be significant that as these judgments are coming, that they are specific to certain people? There's still believers in the world, and elaborate on that, Danny. Elaborate on that. Why is it that the, that the believers, why is it? Okay. They cannot all share the same because believers are not under wrath. Very simple, right? The wrath rightly due to them, just as it is rightly due to us, that wrath has been satisfied in full by Jesus Christ. And so we begin to see that many of these judgments as they come down are specific to unbelievers. Now, how is it that unbelievers, all right, in the beginning, how is it the believers are known to be distinct besides their character and their conduct? What else is it that believers possess in this time? Say again. What, what do they have on their forehead? They have the mark of God. They have the name of God on them. Now Satan is going to imitate that. And as we go on in the book, we are introduced to some personages. So you have Satan. Satan in the book of Revelation is um, represented by what? Character. Representation. He's a dragon. So when you see in Revelation, when you see the dragon, we're talking about Satan. And we're introduced to two more people. One is referred to as the beast. And who is the beast? He's the Antichrist, and he is Satan's front man. He is the one who has Satan's agenda, and he is Satan's point man for accomplishing his agenda. Now, the beast is assisted by someone, and that person is the false prophet. The false prophet is one who is going to come in. He's going to be given the ability to... Have, to uh, exhibit signs and wonders, and these signs and wonders are intended to do what? Point to the beast. And so he is trying to get people to worship the beast and to follow the beast. Now, it's not just Satan's team that's on the field. God has left some particular people on the earth. Now, who are they? Okay, aha, see, that was a good, see, you've got a question because you're going, well, which ones are we talking about? So, you have the 144,000, those 144,000 are who? They are Jews, and not only are they Jews, but they are also, um, they are representatives, <coughs> excuse me, there are 12,000 of them, from 12 tribes. Now, do you think anybody, 
do you think there are any Jews on the planet who know that they are of the tribe of Issachar? There's no way. There's no way they can know. When the Northern Kingdom was taken away, they assimilated into other tribes. And so there's a reason why history refers to them as the 10 lost tribes of Israel. But God knows who they are. And so he brings back, he's got 12,000 from 12 tribes and these guys are indestructible. They cannot be killed. They endure and they have to endure a lot. Now there was also not just the 144,000, who, who else was there? Or who else is there since this is still all in the future? The two witnesses. So we have two men who are in Jerusalem for three and a half years and for three and a half years, they are untouchable. You try to, you try to do something to harm them, fire comes out and they cannot be overcome until their three and a half years is up, at which time the beast is able to overcome them and to kill them. And they are left, their bodies are left in plain view in Jerusalem for three and a half days. And after three and a half days, God resurrects them and takes them up to heaven. And um, people realize that trouble is afoot for those who are against God. And so we have seven seal judgments. We have seven trumpet judgments. And then out of the seventh trumpet comes seven bowls. Now, the bowls, the word that's used, these are like a, a shallow saucer. So this is something that it's, we're not talking about the need for a lot of volume. And they are dumped. They're not, you know, metered out. They are just overturned and that judgment comes. Now, what is significant about the bold judgments? What do they carry? What's inside these bowls? Unmixed, undiluted, unmetered wrath. And so when these are coming out, this is, this is it, the judgment has been crescendoing. It is becoming more and more severe and this one, these are the ones where the full wrath of God is poured out. Now at the end of chapter 14, we saw we ran into two reapers. And there was one who came out. Remember the, the, the earth was ripe, but that word used for ripe is the word that every other location where it's used in the New Testament, every other location, it is either to wither or to dry up. So when you, when you see Jesus encountering the man with the withered hand, 
That's this word. When the fig tree was cursed by Jesus because it was unfruitful and it withered from the root up, that's this word. And so the idea is, is that that is the harvest of the tares, those who are unfruitful, those who are the imposters, those who are unregenerate. And we see that this reaping is going to be completed in two phases. You're going to have many that are going to be killed during these, these last seven bull judgments. And then we're going to have the rest are going to be killed at the great battle, the great war against God that immediately precedes the second coming. And that's going to be Armageddon. And then we see that there's a, um, a second reaper. And that reaper is reaping the grapes of wrath from the earth that are about to be put into the winepress of the wrath of God. And so that's, that's everything is building here to this chapter. So let's look at our text. 16 verse one. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Now, you'll recall from a couple chapters back, if you get the mark of the beast. What hope do you have of redemption? None. None. You have sworn your allegiance to the enemy of God. And so here we have You notice these people just don't immediately die. You see, we think of, of judgment as, you know, kind of the ultimate thing is death. Is it? What is death for the unredeemed? Okay, separation from God, everlasting torture. You recall Jesus talking about judgment coming that where the, the worm never dies. And so when these people are beginning to suffer, we've already seen this, uh, we saw this with the bite of the locusts, right? Where the locusts have the ability to sting and the pain is so intense that men wish to die. They want to die because in their mind, 
death would be what relative to this pain? It's an end, right? It's an end. And yet death flees from them because death is not an end. Frankly, for them, death is a beginning. It's the beginning of eternal, never-ending anguish, agony, and misery. And so God, in fact, gives them a taste of it as an incentive to what? Repent, turn while you can. And that time, frankly, is past at the, by the time we get to this point. So this idea here of a loathsome and malignant sore, notice that sore is singular. So these aren't like Job's boils to where, you know, they're all over the place on him and he's scraping. This is one sore. Now, it doesn't say it has to be small, but it's a sore that comes on these people. The word that's used is the, is the equivalent for the Latin word from which we get ulcer. So this is something that is oozing, it's inflamed. By the way, anything that's oozing and inflamed, what else is it? It's, okay, infected and painful. And so here you have this sore that can't be healed and it is, well, when, if, when you have something of that nature, what else is going on in life for you? Nothing, right? That is over, it's consuming. How do you get away from it? You can't. It's incurable and it's, it's painful. It is, it, and again, it's just, this thing takes over your life. And who's getting it? Just unbelievers. And so again, this is outpouring of God's wrath. And so these who have chosen to oppose God and his Christ are now suffering the consequences for their choice. And again, it's not just those who had the mark of the beast, it's those who worshiped him. They have taken something that rightly belongs to God and they have attributed it to his enemy. That's the first one. Second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. So the first one is poured out on the earth. This one is poured out on the sea. Now, have we seen this before? Of, of, of something coming down onto the sea and turning the sea into blood? Yes, because that was one of the trumpet judgments, right? What's the difference between this one and the trumpet judgment. Yeah, so in the trumpet, in that go around, how much of the sea was turned to blood? One third, 
So the idea is, is that there was a, a, an impact of that, yet there was still, when you talk about the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, there's still an element present in those that is no longer present in the bowl judgments. And what is that? Mercy, exactly. There's a limit when it comes to the seals and the trumpets. There's still a limit. In wrath, remember mercy. And that is still happening. That's off the table when it comes to these. And so, all of the oceans are turned to blood. Anybody know? Well, hang on a second. Yeah, you will because it's in your notes. But if you're not looking at your notes, take a guess as to how much of the surface of the planet is covered by oceans. 71%. So almost three quarters of the surface of the planet, all that water just turned to blood. And it's like blood of a dead man. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the blood of a dead man. Anybody ever seen the blood of a dead man? Okay, some of you have. This is one of the grossest things you're ever gonna run into. It's thick, it's clotted, coagulated, and what else does it do? It stinks. There is a stench from this that you cannot imagine. That's what the oceans just turned into. Now, the oceans turning to blood, every living thing in the sea dies. Let's face it, the things that live in the sea need water and they no longer have water. And so there's nothing living in the sea any longer. Now, could that even continue long-term? What would happen to the planet long-term if in fact that's what's going on? Yeah, the hydration cycle no longer exists. And so it's just, here you have the source for fresh water for people just got dried up. It's no longer available. And again, the idea of turning water into blood, that goes all the way back into Egypt, right? At the, in the, in, at the time of the Exodus, when you have the plagues. Being able to turn water into blood, you know, that's not necessarily anything new. What is different? Yeah, the extent, it's every where, everywhere. And these bowls, as they're coming down, as they're being poured out, remember we talked, um, you know, fireworks, where you've got, an, in a normal fireworks show, you've got boom, boom, boom. And then you get to the end, and they have the finale rack. And the finale rack, which is what everybody really wants to see, that's when it's, you know, there's stuff going up all at once. That's what these are like. These other ones have been metered out. The bold judgments are hit, hit, hit. 
And so these are rapid succession because again, God's pouring out his wrath. And this is, this is the, the full strength stuff. And so the sea turns to blood. Verse four, then the third angel poured out his bowl onto the rivers and the springs of waters and they became blood. So now we're attacking, God's attacking the fresh water. So the seas are blood. Now the fresh waters are blood. And keep in mind, these people couldn't go to Costco and buy cases of fresh water. What just, what's, what's happening now for them? You have no water. You have no water. How pleasant is that? You know, it's an annoyance at first. But that very rapidly turns into what? Panic. Misery. Agony. Now there's something that happens here. And I don't know. God has a reason for putting this in and having a a reason for even having the angelic response here that he does. Do you ever think about judgment on unbelievers and think and have the thought enter your mind that that seems a little over the top? How can God be loving and yet have smoke rising up in his presence for eternity from the torture of his enemies? Do you ever think that? Do you ever think that hopefully God is not, you know, he would be just to, but hopefully he's not gonna execute judgment on somebody I know and love? Listen to what the angels say here. I heard the angel of the waters saying, righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. What catches you? out of that statement. They deserve it. They poured out the blood of many. Now you've given them blood to drink. Fact of the matter is If you're a prophet of God, what are the chances of you having a retirement plan? 
Stephen, when he was giving his defense, made a comment to the Jews, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Which ones? Of the apostles, tradition has it that one out of the 12 actually died a natural death. That was John and he reportedly was boiled in oil prior to that, but lived. And then he lived, he died in exile. The rest of them, every one of them died an unnatural death. And if you go back and look at the prophets, virtually all of them were murdered. They completed their ministry, but they sealed their testimony with their blood. And the idea here is, again, you have made choices in life regarding God and regarding God's servants. And when you take up arms against God and against his servants, there are consequences. They may not be immediate, but they are coming. You know, the fact of the matter is, we don't look at sin the same way that God does. Even as redeemed, we don't look at sin the same way God does. Do you still find yourself thinking that some sins are worse than others? Are they? Do we think that way? Every head in this room ought to be nodding up and down because you know it's true. God doesn't do that. And the fact of the matter is, even as redeemed people, we still cannot appreciate how different God is than we are. He is utterly holy, utterly. And in so many ways, we still tend to soft pedal sin. Any one of which is worthy of eternal judgment. Now this is the last, by the way, verses six and seven. This is the last of the recorded praises in the book of Revelation. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but just to pound the nail one more time. When you look at praise in the book of Revelation, never do you see I, me, or we. On one occasion, there is our, and that's referring to God as our God. Everything that's recorded here is actually about God has nothing to do with us. And so real praise doesn't look here. Real praise looks solely at him and magnifies him and speaks of him. And so if you look at chapter four, verse eight, 
in chapter 4, verses 11. Uh, chapter 5, 9 and 10, and 12 and 13. Chapter 7, verse 12. Chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. Chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Chapter 16, verses 5 and 6 is these here. All praise is focused on him. If you're not able to write those down that quickly, just go back a couple of weeks and they'll be listed out in your notes. And so again, righteous and true are God's judgments. Questions up to here? Verse eight, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun and it was given and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched, scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give him glory. You want to talk about global warming? Here it is, the real stuff. This idea of being able to scorch with heat. One of the words in here is, is the word pyre. So from which we would get pyro, funeral pyre. And what's the response of these that are being scorched? Do they know where the, where the judgment's coming from? Yes. Yep, they do. Do they repent? Nope. And so what takes its place? They curse God. I suppose their feeling is that somehow God's got it wrong. God is unjust in order to visit upon them the consequences for their sin. And in fact, that's going to be the common theme now as we see that man is being judged and he still raises his fist in defiance against God. Verse 10, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. You see these bowls are being poured out in different places and accomplishing different things. We've had one on the earth, we've had one on the sea, we've had one on the waters, we've had one on the sun, now, we have one poured out on a specific location. Now that the throne of the beast, there's a lot of discussion as to what exactly that refers to. It's probably, you know, the throne of the beast is going to be a specific location. His throne's not gonna be everywhere. And so this is probably um, his capital city. This is probably what's going to be referred to as Babylon. We're gonna see that ex at extent the next couple of weeks in chapter 17 and 18. So it's poured out on his throne, but the effects extend throughout his kingdom. Now, where is the kingdom 
of the beast. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's global. So the darkness just became global. Yep, you still have the remnant that's there and it's not given as to how that, how that plays. You'll remember that uh, you know, there was a plague of darkness in Exodus, right? Where in Egypt it was dark except where? What part of Egypt was not dark? Goshen, and why? That's where the Israelites were and so it wasn't dark there. We're not given as to if that plays out in this way here so now, just picture this for a moment. You have people who have got this sore on them, who have no water, who are, have now been scorched by the sun, and now it's pitch black, dark. What do you have left but just to suffer? You can't see to go anywhere. And so here again, you have all of this snowballing. It's not just one, it continues to accumulate to where you have people who are utterly miserable and again, they don't repent. And now what's their life becoming? Not just miserable, their life is one long curse against God. Julie. That's correct. The question was, if they take the mark of the beast, it's impossible for them to repent, and that is correct. Because again, remember that that was one of the messages, the message of one of the angels. That's back in chapter 14. Starting in verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest, day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. And so, that's... Uh, that is one of those where they've made, you know, if you ask them, is that your final choice? Well, yeah, it is. I have cast my allegiance with the enemy of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to do this. It seems very harsh for us, but 
the, the comment is, is that uh, their hard-heartedness is demonstrated in the fact that they refuse to repent. You would think at some point, wouldn't you just give in? And yet, they don't. And by the way, this isn't restricted to this time in history. How many people do you encounter who just will not bend their knee? You, you come to the end of life. You know, here's somebody, they're, they're ravaged with cancer. Death is not hypothetical to this person. And yet, how often do you go in to speak of them and try to share with them the, 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 the glorious news of the gospel? Not interested. Just, just can it now. Not interested. Don't want to hear it. Marianne. Absolutely. The comment is we'd be in the same place. We'd, be, we'd have the exact same mentality if we had not been rescued. And that is absolutely correct. Yeah, so why is it that Christians should have the shared characteristic of humility? In fact, if you don't have humility... What thoughts should be coming through your head? Am I redeemed? Because at the end of the day, why is anybody going to heaven? <laughs> Do you know why all of this praise throughout this book is centered on God and on God alone? We have got nothing to contribute. Am I making God somehow more God because I'm going to be in heaven? If I were you in the front rows, I'd be moving back. All right? Because if I think that, lightning's fixing to come through the roof, you know, and I'm going to have a nadab and a bihu moment. And so again, Salvation has always been of God, always has been, always will be. In fact, that's the beauty, one of the beauties of heaven. We get to see that. When we see God in his awesomeness, in his utter purity, there's not going to be anything in here about, okay, hey, listen, well, you know, I had a little bit to contribute. No, no. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. So this bowl goes out on the Euphrates. Now the Euphrates is the Mississippi of the Middle East. It's the great river. That's the way it's often referred to. And so a lot of the, the people in that region are supplied fresh water from the Euphrates system. 
And again, it goes all the way back to Genesis. We see the Euphrates as one of the, you know, that's one of the borders of the Garden of Eden. The Euphrates was going to be a border of the promised land for Israel. And so it's a big deal. It's also, um, the Euphrates is going to become like the Yukon is in Alaska. Now, it's, it's weird to go to Fairbanks. There's a particular restaurant that's right on, that might be the Chena River, now that I'm thinking about it. There's, but in the summertime, you look outside and there are people with their boats, you know, going up and down and jet skis and people are using the river like we would think of using a river. In the wintertime, it's a parking lot. You look outside and people have got their cars parked on the river. And in fact, in Alaska, they love the wintertime because the river just became their interstate freeway system. That's how they get up and down. They get their snow machines and they're just tripping up and down the rivers. That's what God's doing with the Euphrates. Because when he dries it up, he just put in a nice interstate freeway for people to come for the great war that is fixing to come. Yeah, you know, the amazing thing is, the comment, you know, there's still people to come after you've had all of these judgments. They're still there. Oh, well, we're going to get into that here in a minute. Just, and so again, the idea here is, these people look and they go, wow, all of a sudden, our transportation problem, our, 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 our way of being able to get there, it's just been solved. How fortunate are we? They are using it, they're looking at it from a means of being able to accomplish their purpose and in reality what's happening. Yeah, God's bringing them to their judgment. And so here we have the Euphrates dried up. So we've got the nice freeway for people able to get to where they can fight against God. Verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. If you ever find an innate dislike for frogs, here's why. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. So here you have unclean spirits going out and they're going out to incite the kings of the nations in order to bring whoever's left, bring them all. And we're going to have a great battle against God. Now, on the one hand, you look at this and think to yourself, you have got to be kidding. God just turned the whole ocean into blood. And you think you're going to take him on? He's just wiped out all the fresh water. You think you're going to be able to compete with that? He just turned the lights off around the planet. Hey, we've got flashlights. We have ever readies. 
So the comment for the, for the tape, the comment is, is that it shows the power of deception. And again, when somebody is deceived, what is the, what's the great power of that? Something is wrong, but they believe it to be true. And since they believe it to be true, how do you talk to them? You can't. That's why the most difficult person to preach the gospel to is who? Someone who thinks they're already in. And in fact, that's why Jesus, I think it's Matthew 7, you know, many will say to me on that day, right? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? And I'm going to tell them, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Many are going to come on that day. They're convinced that they're in. Matt, did you have a question? Okay, so the, the comment is, is that uh, the way that our culture thinks, uh, because they are deceived, they deny that God exists. And so, you know, these things are somehow um, natural occurrences and uh, that, you know, the reason they're going to go fight against God is that, you know, he's an alien that's coming to, to take over the planet. Um, when you blaspheme God, you're acknowledging his existence because you're cursing him. And so now, in that day, I don't believe you're gonna run into too many people who are atheists. You're gonna run into all kinds of people who just refuse to bow their knee, but I don't think there's gonna be a lot of people who deny that God's existence. Now, you do bring up something that we probably should talk about here real quickly. A lot of times when people are looking here at these different judgments and how these judgments are laying out, there's a temptation to try to come up with a natural explanation as to why this might be happening. So for instance, there are some who would say that um, the sea being turned to blood and fresh water being turned to blood. Well, you know what? That's kind of a manifestation of algae bloom. And you've got this stuff called red algae. And you know, that's what's going on. Listen, okay? It's judgment. It's from God's hand. God's not trying to come up with, okay, now there's a natural explanation. Listen, he turned the sea into blood. Why? The angel gave us that answer, right? Especially when it came to the fresh water. You've shed the blood of the righteous followers of Christ. Here's blood to drink. Have a nice day. And so again, don't get caught up into how, you know, you know, this, you know, there's a natural explanation for all of this. There is an explanation. God is bringing it about. And he's bringing it about for a specific purpose. 
Jim, you got a question? Okay. So don't get tied up into, you know, we got to come up with some natural explanation for how all these are happening. No, you don't. Right, so the comment is, isn't this, a proof, isn't this a proof of Romans 1, where people know uh, the truth of God, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so, again, um, the message is pretty consistent, frankly. Men know what is right, and they come up with all kinds of different ways to try to prove that that is, in fact, not correct. That doesn't change the, the truth of the truth, Matt. Okay, so the comment is, is that, again, currently, we have uh, uh, the, the, the belief in evolution versus creation. Uh, people are denying God exists, and they're coming up with other ways to explain how it is that we got here. I'm not sure that that is entirely true because they believe there is no God. Uh, there have been a number of people who... Uh, a number of scientists, apparently, who have reached the conclusion, look, there is no such thing as spontaneous generation. You can't get life from non-life. But since the only, the only other explanation for that is that there was creation by God, I'll believe this over here. Because I don't want to deal with God. And I don't want to deal, if, because if God did create then God is who he says he is, and I'm responsible to him. Now, that may be uh, this deception and delusion now may be true, but from our text in this time period, that idea is not going to be the same. People are going to realize because that's what the text says. And so, again, what you're, what you're finding is people may want to, they're still going to believe the lies that they've been given. But they are going to be coming to the point where they realize there is God. He has a claim. I just choose not to submit to him. I choose not to bow my knee to him. And so it's much more, what's happening here is there's no quote-unquote third ground. I'm just going to ignore him and live my life as it is. What's happening with these things, nobody can ignore God because of all the judgments that are here. We can't, we can't just hide in a corner and pretend that, you know, everything's just peachy. Yes, I chose that word intentionally. 
See, now here, this is an inside thing because you all know that. People watching this tape who don't go here, they're not going to have any idea what we're talking about. So... Right. And, and so that they have right. So again, the point is going back to Romans 1, it's the suppression of knowledge about what is really true. God is there. We know that we have, we have, uh, we, we're rebelling against him and I'm still going to rebel against him. Uh, Joe? In Revelation 6, when they're calling the rocks the fall, it says to hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They know. Oh, yeah. They know what it is. So what's happening is, is that, again, you're, you're, you're bringing everything to the point where there is one excuse that now no longer applies, utterly no longer applies. And that's the excuse I didn't know. I didn't realize. Somehow I was ignorant. That's why I was so blissful. No, there's no ignorance. In this time, everything is coming down to where it is black and white. It is apparent who is on whose side. And it is apparent also that this is a targeted war. Again, when you have people suffering in hell forever, are they going to confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Is their knee going to bow? Absolutely. Are they going to confess reality? Are they going to come to realize what the truth is about God and about his Christ? Absolutely. They're going to understand that truth crystally clear. Yet, for eternity, they will still be rebellious. I will not bow my knee. I will not have this man to be king over me. And so again, it is bringing everything to a head. There is right there is wrong. There is life. There is death. And people are, God is bringing people to the point where they are choosing to rebel. It's not just that we were born this way. I am choosing this way against plenty of evidence to the contrary against plenty of evidence that, you know what, I'm going to end up on the losing side here. And yet they will not bow the knee. So here they're coming for the great war against God. Verse 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. That's kind of a military application there. If you're the guy on sentry duty, what had you better have on? 
since you're the first line of defense, you'd better have your uniform on and you'd better be ready to go. One of our sons was deployed in Afghanistan and he related a story. Um, oftentimes there was an alarm that wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a horn that would go off. It was a 50 caliber machine gun. And when you heard the 50 start to fire, you knew that something was afoot. And so it was time. And it was interesting because when you heard the 50 open up, you got your, your rifle, every Marine is a rifleman, and you got out on the berm, you were under attack. And he said there was this one occasion where the 50 opens up and they get out there on the berm and if you were to stand back and look, you'd see some guys are in uniform, some guys are in their underwear. But they've got their rifle and they're on the berm. Now, personally, I would not want to be one of those guys who's out there in my tidy whities all right? That soldiers, I would imagine, aren't terribly different than firemen or cops. That's got all kinds of ammunition for, hey, dude, like, <laughs> nice tan, or, or whatever else they would come in with. So the idea here is preparation. At this point in time, if you're redeemed, do you know what's going on? Yeah, you do. So, you're on the alert. You're looking up, as our brother Terry would say. Verse 16, and they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon, Mount, mountain of Megiddo. All right, let's blast through this quickly. 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there has not been since man came to be upon the earth, so great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. This is a global earthquake. Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. We're going to skip Babylon the Great today because God's going to do, there's two chapters that are basically dedicated to the judgment of Babylon the Great. That's coming up next week. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. I'll bet it's extremely severe. There's an earthquake that just wiped out all the buildings, so now you have no shelter. You have no water. You've got these sores. You've gone through the darkness, and I don't know if the darkness is still going on or not. It didn't say. It doesn't, it's not in a tense that indicates that it's a one-time event that happened continuous action so it's possible that this was something that was relatively short term and I would imagine it probably is because it's going to be hard for all the people to come to Armageddon with a flashlight I think God's going to want them to be able to get there nice and timely for that fight 
What's an island, by the way? This is an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about this before. I was doing some reading. What's an island? It's the top of an underwater mountain. Which is pretty cool, actually, if you think about it. So when all of a sudden you have a judgment where all of a sudden all the mountains are getting flattened, you realize that in creation, you didn't have Mount Everest. Mount Everest was probably something more like a mountain in Texas. It's about 25 feet higher than everything else around it. If you've ever been to Texas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What's going to be the high point geographically of the earth in the millennial kingdom? Jerusalem is. And so you're going to have a whole lot of rearranging going on. Here's the beginning of it. These hailstones, in the Greek, it's the word for a talent. So when you talk about having a talent of gold, that's about a weight. Now, that goes anywhere from 75 to 100 pounds, depending on which, which measurement you're using for a talent. Frankly, once you get that big, you're talking about details if you're talking about getting hit with 75 or 100 pounds. It's not going to matter. Yeah, it's, it, that's a big ouch, right? I did a fire one time in a cold storage warehouse, and they had a bunch of frozen turkeys in there. They actually stopped the inspection because these turkeys were starting to fall. And let me tell you, getting hit on the head with a 17-pound frozen turkey, I don't care if you're wearing a helmet or not, that's going to ruin your day. These hailstones are 100 pounds each. So you get hit. No bueno, right? And again, they're cursing God. So knowledge is not the problem. Ignorance is not the problem. It is simple, hard-heartedness. And again, this has been already brought up today, there but for the grace of God go we, right? By the time you get done with these bowls, the rest of those that are alive are going to be coming to fight against God in that war. Questions? Sobering chapter, isn't it? Hopefully that will incite us to preach the good news so that we can warn people while there is still time 
to flee the wrath that is to come. Let's pray. Father, this day will come. You are, the, the day is coming where you are going to judge the world, those that are in it. You're going to save your people. You know who they are, and you're going to get every last one of them. And then you're going to bring your wrath on all the rest. And that is as certain as anything can be. And so, Father, thank you again that you have rescued us from the wrath that is to come. I pray that you would cause us to live holy lives, that our speech, our way of thinking, our attitudes, our actions, all would speak of you and of those who are redeemed to those who have been made sons and daughters of those who have become brothers and sisters of your anointed one. I pray that we would speak often of your greatness and warn those who are still under, the, under your condemnation to flee from the wrath that is to come now while there's time that they would understand the urgency of this, that they would not think I've got plenty of time. There's always later. And so Father, help us to be your hands and your feet now while we are here. And we worship you because you are almighty God. You are the one who is completely pure, you're the one who's completely holy. Help us to worship you aright this morning as we come together. In Christ's name, amen.